James chapter 1, like the book of 1 John, which we're studying in the Bible study, very practical, gets right to the point. There's really nothing mysterious about it. There's not a lot of guesswork. And you're going to find that in this verse here, or verses. Chapter 1, book of James, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's simple instruction. Then a statement is made about God here. It says, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It doesn't send people away for asking for help, for asking for wisdom. And it shall be given him. There again is a very declarative, definitive statement. It's going to be given to you. Ordinarily, that would be good news. Then there's the word but. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, once again, these verses here and much what we read in James, of course, really the epistles in general, they just get to the point. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And here is a condition. Look at the very first word in James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if, and we all lack wisdom. Me, I pray for it on a daily basis. I really do even in the simplest of things, if, and then the first word of verse 6 says, but. You lack wisdom? You say, well, I need some answers today, Pastor, for my life, my career, my marriage, whatever it may be. So you lack wisdom, and it says, ask of God. He's not going to send you away. He doesn't belittle people. You come, you ask for wisdom. God doesn't send people away. But, it says in verse 6, the person who's coming must ask in faith with nothing wavering. Now, there's kind of a little homey type of story about a woman who's living in a small house next to a mountain. And the mountain cast a big shadow over the house, so it put the house in a bit of shade for a large part of the day. And she remembered what Jesus said about, if you speak unto the mountain, be cast into the sea and it shall be done. And so she prayed that the mountain would be removed. And she got up the next morning, the mountain was still there. She simply remarked, hmm, just as I expected. This is a silly little story, and probably fictional. But the truth of it is, that represents most of our prayer lives. I've always said, either to myself, and I've said it publicly, why bother to pray if we don't expect God is actually going to answer? Yeah. And praying to God doesn't mean that if you shout louder, he hears you. God's not deaf. He's not nervous either, but he's not deaf. And repeating it again and again and again is not faith either, not necessarily. Repeating the same scripture. He's not feeble. In memory, he's not feeble. He's heard us every single time. I've prayed, I have some prayers I prayed over 40 years ago, and I remind myself, or maybe the Holy Spirit prompts me to be reminded, you prayed that 40 years ago, and I still remember it, and I heard it, and there you go. So I want to talk to you about prayer without faith. In my mind, you can't have real faith and not pray, but you can pray and not have faith. So we use the word, you're praying about something, and I'm sure I've used it too. I hope so. But the way we use hope is not the way the Bible uses hope. In the Bible, we see there's faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and they're all connected. But faith and hope are very, very similar. So we just simply shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, I hope so. What we mean is we don't know. So it's mostly a wish. And there are many, many things in life, certainly, 
probably the majority of things we don't control and we don't know the answer to. So we use that phrase. I hope so. But that's not how the Bible uses it. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's very similar to the word faith. And we'll go through some of the teachings and some of the scriptures that Jesus used in particular, but some others as well, about unbelief. So think of this. Why bother to pray if you really don't believe that you're going to be answered in the affirmative? I got to tell you that when I was young, yeah, I rolled dice, literally rolled dice in the schoolyard and other places. And it's just chance. If we, I said we, not others, if we would be honest, the so-called prayer life is basically a roll of the dice. Not biblically, but for the average Christian, it's just a roll of the dice. Hope so. If you've played dice, maybe some of you have, and you blow on them, you're looking for your point. Let's say your point is five. You just come on five. And it rolls what it rolls. You either crap out, or you get your point, win some money, more money, you go on. If we would be truthful with ourselves, prayer for most is just a roll of the dice. I hope so. And so what we have here before us is a real challenge. Now the subject is wisdom. We could stick with that if we wanted to. I'll broaden it, although we have to be careful about making it too broad because if we do, then we're out of bounds of the scriptures and that's why you have these teachings today. You know, you name it and you claim it and proclaim it and frame it and all that stuff. And it's ridiculously out of bounds. But there's plenty inside the pages of this book that God has promised to do these things. But the condition is you believe and you don't waver. So we don't use it so much here for rehearsal, but I use a metronome with drumming or playing classical guitar. This way I know because the metronome has one quality, it never lies. And you put that on and you think that you're on time, in time, and you're not because the metronome just doesn't lie. Well, the Bible doesn't lie and God doesn't lie. God says, I will do this, but you must be in sync with me and pay attention to my instructions. So let's look at them again. But let me give you a paraphrase of what is being said here from James chapter 1, verse 5. Let me give you the paraphrase. But when you ask God for something, you must trust him completely. Do not have other ideas in your mind. Again, this is a paraphrase, commentary. Anybody who is not sure that God will help them is like water that is in the sea. The wind blows the water one way and then it blows the water another way. A person who is like that never knows what to do. He or she has many ideas in his mind. He should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now that's something to consider. Verse 7, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So therefore, from my way of thinking, I try to always think consistently and logically, if this is that, then that must be that, then that must be that, and it's going to lead to that. If we're going to pray and we're going to roll the dice with God and say, well, <laughs> hope this works. God is saying, let me paraphrase it for you. Verse 7 says, don't bother praying. It's a waste of time. You're wasting your time. Maybe you got extra time, so 20 minutes, a half an hour, whatever you spend in prayer is not really a waste of time because this is what I do. But didn't a lot of us do that in Christian religion before we came to Christ? Yeah. We prayed little prayers with beads and other things. I did, and I did it in grade school. I prayed, but I had no clue who God was. I didn't know anything about his book. What God is saying in verse 7 is, why are you praying? Don't bother. I'm telling you up front, I'm not going to respond. Think about that. 
we sang a song from Second Chronicles 7.14. And it's all dependent on the word, if my people called by my name, that was Israel, now we are called by his name, Christ, Christian. My people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, that humility is referring mostly to fasting, will humble themselves and pray, so far so good, that's a can do, we can do that. And then turn from their wicked ways. Now there's a sticking point because some of us believe that turning from the wicked ways is not really a turning, it's just continually telling God, oh, I know this is wrong, and do it again. Oh, I know this is wrong, and do it again. And somehow in the mind, and remember sin is what does this to all of us, it twists the scripture to think that just an apology to God with a kind of a wink saying, you know, I'm going to do it again, means forgiveness, and it doesn't. Falling, slipping, as we all do, that's one thing. Winking at God saying, really sorry, let's take communion. Here's the emblem of his body. Here's the emblem of his blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Jump, shout, and all that. God says, turn. Turn away from it. Stop. And I mentioned to you both last Sunday and in the Bible study, we can look at big things. They're definitely happening. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, and all these things. Drunkenness. Now, we can rationalize anything we want and say, well, it's, you know. But I always like to look at the less mentioned sins, like an angry temper and whatever, because they're the little foxes, and we don't consider them as much, I think, as we should. God didn't say, just keep announcing to me that you're doing wrong, and we're winking at God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, the expression is used that God isn't winking at sin any longer. He said, I know you guys are sinners. I've always known that, because I know everything. But don't worry about it, it's all by grace. I don't know how people, systematically and logically, people put these things together, but they do. God said, turn, stop. Okay, stop is a better word. Stop, that's what changing your mind means. We hear in America of people switching political parties with two, you know, maybe say extreme philosophies, ideologies. David Horowitz would be one of them, raised in a communist family, Marxist family, and supported that for a while. Then he switched all the way over to a conservative point of views. Uh, so we recognize a change in David Horowitz, politically speaking. And it's more so with Christ. We recognize the change because the things that were being done are no longer being done. And the things that we didn't do before, we're now doing them. That's real Christianity and that's real faith. And this affects the prayer life. Prayer without faith. What precisely is it? It's similar in my mind to chanting. Just chanting. If you put a little music to it and gave it a little tune, we would be chanting. Now, chanting is fine when it's actually a song of prayer. But the allegory that I'm making for you, it's actually prayer. This is just chanting. I know this is wrong, God. I know this is wrong. And I know what you said. And it's just chanting. And actually, Jesus said, don't use repetitious prayers. He said, God already knows. He says, the heathen, those that don't know the one true God, that's what they do, and they think that they're being heard because they're chanting so much. And Jesus said, no, that's not it. We go to God and we respond to his word. Let me just say that it's not all that easy. To believe God is not all that easy. The battle does go on in the mind, but as this paraphrase says, when you go to God and you pray in true faith, and it's not that the ideas won't come into your mind, that you have to push them out and say, no, this is what the word of God says. This is what the book says. This is what the Bible says. At that point, with your will, you make a decision. Yes or no. I believe it. And the battle goes on again in the mind. But you win the battle because you refuse to believe anything other than what God's word says. If God says, 
I hate to use the generic word sin, it's kind of void and without form. But start to name things that God says, don't do it, or if you do, you won't see the kingdom. Just put them there and put your name on it. It becomes very personal. And so now you have a choice to continue with it and say, God doesn't really mean that. Or others just dismiss it altogether. They don't care what the book says. Or you say, wow, God said, if I continually and habitually do this, I will not see the kingdom. You know what God didn't say? As long as you hold the Bible in your hand and acknowledge it and say, this is the word of God, you'll be in heaven. For that matter, we could just keep on making all kinds of relics, hang them on our neck, wear them on our wrists. When people do make rings out of them and all types of paraphernalia, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is right here. It's not having a double mind. The compound word for us is double-minded man, verse 8. The Greek word dipshukas means two spirits or two souls. If you've heard that someone has a split personality, the truth of it is everyone in the world, every single person has two people in them. Yes or no. One's yes, one's no. It's just a question of which one wins out. That's what makes the difference in life. One or the other will win out. That's for everybody. Dipshukas means either two-spirited or two souls. For those of you, and some of you are actually studying the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, in the city of fair speech, there were several characters. One is Mr. Facing both ways. And not much is said about him, but just you get the picture just when he mentions the character's name. Mr. Facing both ways. So he's facing this way. Well, let's do it this way. He's facing the cross. At the same time, he's facing the world. And in his own mind, believes that to have one foot there and one foot there is fine. God accepts that. But we know as being people of the book, God does not accept that. And that we have to reconcile. Which way are you facing? Look at many of us, maybe not all of us here, but many of us were raised in some type of Christian tradition, some type of Christian church. And just like everything, whether it's the military, music, it could be anything, you kind of learn the trade language of how you're supposed to speak. If I speak to a mechanic, they'll talk to me in trade language, some of which I may understand and some of which I don't understand. It's true of everything. They use bywords and phrases that the average person isn't used to. So you're inside some trade and you're inside some group and they have their own language. Well, Christianity has its own language too and it's usually Bible verses and other things is added to it. But I'm saying to you that that's not faith. Reading a Bible verse is not faith. It's responding to what the verse says. That's faith. And it's faith that saves. Only faith. Reading the Bible, we have to read the Bible to have faith. But if you don't respond to what it says, you've read what it said, but you never responded. There is no faith. And so last night I'm meditating in this message here. And I want to just share this with you once again. As I'm studying any message, I'm looking at myself. How does this apply to me? How does this have my name on it before I come to you? There is a way, I'll give you a little trade secret here about the pastor. There is a way of just simply going out and saying things, biblical things, getting the applause, getting the endorsement, filling up the altars with people. They could be weeping, they could be crying, they could be full of joy, jumping up and down. That does not mean that the preacher himself is responding by faith to what the book says. The only way you do is by simply doing what it says. So you go to prayer. What is it you've been praying for this week? And again, this is a very large subject, so... There's some things that we have to introduce as to the will of God, that God sometimes does say no. Okay, we have to factor these things in. But to keep it as simple as possible, the word wisdom, and we'll just stick with that. 
So you don't know what to do. Well, you may be encouraged, I don't know, or perhaps discouraged to know that the pastor often doesn't know what to do. I'm hit with so many things so frequently that I really don't know every single answer. I know what the Bible says, but I don't have the answer for everything. So I lack wisdom. So what do I have to do? And I do this, by the way. I go to God and I ask for wisdom. Then I begin to thank him that he's given me the wisdom. It may take a day or two or whatever, but I thank him that he's given me the wisdom. I trust God. I trust that God will supply all of my needs. I trust that God will keep me healthy and keep me alive until he's finished with me. I really believe that. I truly do. What about you? Amen. I hear it. I hear it. But I don't know what's in the heart. Only God does. I really don't know. Some of you I've known a long, long time. Okay, so it's a little easier because I've been here a long time with you. But still, I don't know what your amen really means. I'm not saying don't say it anymore. I'm just simply saying I don't know. If you're in agreement with the song, you're in agreement with the message, by your words, I mean, that's good. I mean, preachers like that too. Um, but I honestly don't know. Only God knows. And you. I can say that we can often tell a tree by its fruit. Somebody famous said that. That we would know trees by their fruit. And let me remind you, if I may, how do you really know that you're on the mark? Now, for those of you who may shoot at targets, I do. I really enjoy target practice, or target shooting. For some reason, it just relaxes me. Well, it's pretty easy to tell. Here you have circles, and sometimes they have the numbers on it if you're shooting for competition. And you know where the bullet went because it makes a mark. If it was dead on, it's over here. If not, it's straight. There's no guesswork involved. You know where it lands. But you know, how do you know that your faith is really genuine? And I'm going to tell you because the Bible's not vague about it. The Bible doesn't say, well, nobody can really tell who's got real faith. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, well, let's go through all nine. Love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, increasing faith, meekness. Which one did I skip? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. That's how you know that you've hit the mark. See, when you turn from your sin, it may be grievous at first, you know, and it may be difficult because of habits we build up. But in the end, there is an increasing peace because the fruit of righteousness we read in the book of Isaiah, the fruit of righteousness is peace. We're not looking for peace in our outer environment. That shifts, that changes just like the weather changes. We're looking for peace on the inside. And look, at once you have it, you like to keep it, believe me. For those of you who have taught and classes on anxiety and depression and so on. And I got one Christian woman right now is writing me saying what great progress she's been making. And I've known her for a long time, so this is not a flash in the pan. She's making really great progress with her anxiety. She's been updating me. And that's how you know you're making progress. She's losing her symptoms, whether it's a palpitation or a churning of the stomach or the sweaty hands or sweaty, whatever. The symptoms are disappearing. It's simple. That's how you know you're making progress. How do you know that your faith is straight on with God? There's an attending peace. You could be, I mean, you could be anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. There's an attending peace. Joy is a bit different because it doesn't always express itself in the kind of giddiness that we associate joy with. But when we look at this world for an example, then we remember that Jesus said these things will come to pass. And in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's a rising of joy, and it's combined with the peace, and it's increasing your faith. And every other thing that we read of this fruit, singular, of the Spirit, like we have a diamond, but it has all these facets. 
the Holy Spirit names nine facets of one thing that comes from his spirit. It's a peace on the inside. It's a type of joy mingled with the others that I just mentioned. It's not a giddiness or silliness or being superficial, but it is a real strength. Prayer without faith, in my mind, like a mathematical formula, equals nothing. And again, I'll remind you, because I know you so well, most of you I know so well. Many of us grew up in Christian traditions where we had prayers, which amounted to nothing. But at this stage of your life, is that what you really want? You want to just say things to God and then say, hope this works. Because God is saying it won't. If Einstein could say God doesn't play dice with the universe, then we should say God doesn't play dice with prayer. He didn't play dice with his word at all. It's not that type of a hope. It's a hope based on the fact that God, who cannot lie, made promises. So that's predicated upon the fact that you believe God actually wrote the book. I do. And, by the way, some of the attending problems that come with being a Christian are going to be there too. So why is that surprising us? Hebrews 3.19 states, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Think about that. You know the reference, or you should. For those of you who don't, let me explain. Israel was told originally to Abraham before there was an Israel. They would be captive in the land for a period of time. It happened to be 400 years. Then they would be let go, and God would bring them into this promised land. That's where they are today. Well, during the exodus from Egypt, after 400 years of captivity, they're walking through the wilderness, and they, you know, they sinned against God. So, well, let's, before we get to that, they're walking through the wilderness. They're really not that far away. They're not that far away from where the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, where the land was. But they suggest, let's go and spy it out, which Moses didn't have a problem with it, so I suppose we shouldn't have a problem with it either. Let's go take a look at this land. God said it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but pretty much, except what he says to Joshua later, pretty much that's all he says. Well, they go out, the 12, you know the story, found in the book of Numbers. They go out, all 12 of them, they search out the land. They're seeing people. They don't recognize who these new individuals are walking through the land. And they're taking fruit and whatever. And evidently they weren't bothered and troubled by anybody. And they come back. And they make the report to Moses and Aaron. Ten of them say, we cannot conquer this land. They're contradicting what God said. But in some type of fairness, God didn't really explicitly explain all the details of a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, when they went out and spied out the land, they saw walled cities. Well, they're a bunch of slaves, remember this. Them, their fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, were all slaves, weren't warriors. So you can kind of take up their position and say, oh, well, you know, uh, unfortunately, God didn't take up their position. We cannot overcome them. There's walled cities, there's giants, and there was real giants, I mean, real physical giants. All they saw was all the obstacles, 10 of them. 12 went out. Then we have Joshua and we have Caleb. And they contradicted the words of the 10 spies and they said, no, no, no. They said, they're cake for us. Bread is the word they used. They're bread for us. Well, but 12 of them saw the exact same thing. It's like the glass half empty, half full. They saw the exact same thing. A glass, when it's at, let's say it's an eight ounce glass. When it's four ounces, it's four ounces. That's a fact. We are asked to interpret the four ounces. They said, ooh, it's half empty. And uh, somebody else said, well, at least it's half full. It's perspective. The fact remains, it's four ounces. My point is that Joshua and Caleb saw the walled cities like the other ten. 
They saw the giants like the other ten. They saw the obstacles like the other ten. But they said this. They're bred for us because God will destroy them. God will bleed us. But none of them saw any of this. They just saw the glass at four ounces. They saw the walled cities. They saw the obstacles. And the ten complained so much they upset a whole congregation. They all began to complain against Moses. We want to go back to Egypt. It was so much better. Yeah, we were slaves. Correct. But we ate and we had leeks and onions and all that. And Joshua and Caleb said, not so. And so you know the story. And we just read it here in Hebrews 3.19 of the 10. And then that adult generation, we see they could not enter in on only one reason. They didn't believe the words of God. How many people last night went to hell who have heard the words of God that said, don't do this, don't do that. Repent and never paid attention to it. Or gave lip service. We heard that during this music service. Well has Isaiah prophesied of these that they draw near to me with their lips. Praise you God, praise you God, praise you God, but their hearts are far from me. They don't do what I say to do. Well, God said that of the 10, and then unfortunately all 12, including Moses, Aaron, and the rest, all had to wander for 40 years until the generation of the adults died off, the children were raised up, and then it was handed to Joshua, and they went in and they conquered. Just as Joshua and Caleb had said, they conquered. You know, let me interject something here. Here in America, and you that are watching overseas, as many of you now watching from many, many countries. How do we see ourselves right now? Are we being victimized here in America by our politicians? Are we powerless and not much we can do or whatever? Or do we believe, at the end of the book of James here, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but that fervent effectual man, Elijah, believed what he said would come to pass? It wasn't a roll of the dice say, well, here goes, hope God works. Me, I don't see much of a reason to say anything to God if I don't believe he's going to bring it to pass. Prayer without faith is basically nothing. It's just rolling the dice. But in this case, the dice don't have any marks on them. They're blank. You can't even roll your point because there's nothing on them. There's nothing on it at all. If God didn't tell us, Verse 7, James 1, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Then we'd say, well, you know, Pastor, i got a contention with you. you got a contention. You take it up with verse 7, not me. God said, you come to me, you don't have wisdom. I will not send you away. I'm very generous. I give generously to anybody that comes to me. But the condition that I have for you is that you come believing that I'm going to do it. And if you don't, then don't think you're going to receive anything from me. This is where, you know, it can get a bit rough, especially if a preacher like me decides to announce it. I can skirt around that verse, and I can make this message so comfortable that you're going to leave here with the impression that no matter what you speak into existence, it's going to come into existence. I read this stuff all the time. I mean, not for my devotions. I just hear people saying it. God did this, and now he has it. Well, yeah, that can happen. But I can tell you from life experience, it does not happen as much as people want to make you think it happens. Sometimes just people talk and talk and talk and talk and nothing happens. God speaks things into existence. And he says, have faith in me and believe me. Matthew 13, 58, Jesus goes back to Nazareth and, well, he's Jesus, okay? So literally anything could happen. There's a funeral going on, he can raise the dead. A storm at sea, he can come. Literally anything is possible. But they don't believe him. And it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What it doesn't say is that Jesus was out of energy, cosmic energy. 
and he wasn't refueled, and he was having an off day. This is nothing about God and everything about men. He didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now again, we have to qualify certain things about praying for other people because their will is involved and so forth. There's some conditions and that, but I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible so you get the point. The reason Jesus had no success in Nazareth was not because of Jesus. The reason that there's no success in the city of Amsterdam is not because of Jesus. I'm not even registering the fact that there isn't really any success. I'm saying, if there isn't any success in Amsterdam, we can't go to Jesus and say, why God? That's for the immature. That's for the naive. That's for the young believer who doesn't know. But you seasoned Christians, those type of questions should never be asked of God. Because the Bible has already told us that the problem doesn't line with God. The problem lines with ourselves. And again, when we're praying for people, well, there's a lot of factors there, mostly that they have a will. And, you know, God is dealing with them and what have you. But there are principles in Scripture that God says, do you do this and this is what I'm going to do. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Do we agree there's nothing wrong with Jesus? If that's the case, then why do we, listen, suffer needlessly? You're going to suffer in life. But there's a part of suffering that is absolutely unproductive and needless. Why suffer needlessly? The fool, and the Bible talks so much about, especially in Proverbs, suffers needlessly because he's a fool or she's a fool. The constant talking or whatever the Bible says about fools, and it says a lot, they suffer needlessly. It's not God who did it. They did it. Jesus goes back to his hometown and he healed just a few sick folk, which in most churches, that would be a major accomplishment. And he marveled. If you want to get God's attention, there's two ways to do it. I mean, get God to actually respond. One, like the woman who would not go away no matter what Jesus said when he was testing her. And Jesus, well, he marveled at the centurion as well. Uh, and this woman here says, well, woman, great is thy faith. But he actually marveled at the centurion. that says, you don't have to come. You don't have to walk. You don't have to come back the long distance. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. What he didn't say is, speak the word and maybe my servant, you know, we never know what these things could be. You know, there's all this stuff. He says, and my servant will be healed. Don't even walk. Jesus, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And he marveled. He said, I've not found this kind of faith in, I'll paraphrase it. I've not found this kind of faith amongst professing Christians. He said Israel. But now it's the same for us, right? I'm going to give you a dumb illustration. Jesus, you don't even have to even come to the service today. After all, he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father. All Jesus has got to do is speak. But it's a type of reevaluating our theology. Holy Spirit's been given to you. As long as he's not been taken, you have him. Let me give you an illustration of what it means to have real faith. I'm sure at some point in your life, you've been invited to dinner by somebody. I've been invited. My wife and I, my family, when the children were younger, have been invited to dinner. But I've never had the experience being invited to dinner, myself, my wife, whoever. I've never had the experience of walking in the door and having the people who invited us say, oh, you came. You want to come to dinner Friday night? I speak to my wife. Yeah, okay, fine. What time? 5.30? Okay, we'll be there. And assuming that we're on time, you walk in and what do you find? There's stuff on the stove. The table is set. China is there. Knives, forks. You can see a dessert has been made sitting in the corner, a coffee pot ready to go for later on. And why? Now listen, this is really important. Because the person actually expected you to show up. Now, 
and my wife will remember this, <clears throat> some years ago, some very close friends of ours, Christians, uh, take vacation at the same exact location that we do, and sometimes those weeks overlap. So we would go visit them at their place. They would come down once in a while to visit us at our place, just literally a mile or two down the road. We used to have a habit in the past of going over to their place to have uh, this kind of Italian dinner that she would make, and she would make it for me because she knew I liked it. Well, we got on the phone, and I gave them a call saying, hey, you guys down here this week? Yeah, we are too, and whatever. So she said to me, do you guys want to come over for dinner? I said, well, I don't know. It sounds good, but let me just run it by my wife. That was it. On my end of the phone, that was what was said. Well, the vacation came and went. My wife and I that year were pretty tired and exhausted, and we just figured, you know, let's just relax, and, you know, we never went. I was on my way home. We took two cars. I was on my way home. I was by myself. I got a call in my car. And it was this sister in the Lord, and she was pretty upset. I said, what's the problem? I invite you over, and you didn't come. I said, I didn't tell you I would come. She was adamant that I did. I'm still to this day adamant that I did not. But there was a misunderstanding. So here's the opposite. Here's a woman who's expecting Pastor Ray and his family to show up, and we didn't. Well, the good news is this. God doesn't do that. You may think that he does. I needed him once. You know, can I say something? You don't need to hear this, I guess, as much as I just need to say it. Somebody just said this to me just yesterday, too. I don't even hardly know the guy. Oh, the whining, man. You know, is it just me? You don't understand what it's like to be this way, like that. I read it on Facebook. Somebody posts up there, unless you're on drugs, you have no right to speak about it. Seriously, really? I want to write to these people who are writing that. Unless you're on the other side and actually bury these people, see what damage has been done to their family. You have no right to speak about how we have been received. To have some in your family and see what it does to the family. You want to go whining about you don't know what it's like? Well, I tell you, I've had a lot of rough experiences I don't need to know every single one to know that life is tough for everybody. I'm just on a little rant here. Life is rough. It's rough for everybody. But some people think that their problem is the problem. The problem. And it's not. Whether it's schizophrenia or drug addiction, it's not the problem. There's a lot of problems in the world. A ton. For humanity. For everybody. And it's time that we face reality. Thankfully, those of us who know Christ and have God can say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. There's where we want to land. So real faith is you're inviting Christ to dinner in a manner of speaking, and you're setting the table before he gets there, cooking, preparing the meal. In my case, on several occasions, a person would ask, what do you like? Well, some people know, so they would do it. Many years ago, down south during a drought, old preacher called for a prayer meeting in the church. God would give them rain. They hadn't had any in weeks and weeks. Bad, bad situation. And they came in. He said to his congregation, he says, if you believe that you know, God is going to send the rain, where's your all umbrellas? Yeah. Well, that makes sense, huh? I mean, the weather people will tell us it's going to rain. We go out with an umbrella, and it never rains. We don't bring the umbrella, and it rains. And we trust them more than we trust God. God said, if you do this, and I just picked one verse, and you believe that I am going to do it, I will do it. I promise you. But if you waver, is God going to do it, I ask? And you say, yes, Pastor, amen. And then as soon as you're out the door, you're in the parking lot, and somebody asks you the exact same question, you say, well, I hope so. God says, deal is off. Keeping in mind, but we all go through battles in the mind. That's not what this is saying. It doesn't say that temptation won't come in, the devil won't come in. It's just saying that you stay with it. 
I told you about little sins, little things, and I deal with people with anxiety, and I like helping people with anxiety. And on my, well, it was a daily broadcast. I haven't been doing it daily. I want to get back to it very soon. But I challenge the people who watch the broadcast regularly. Let's make 2022 the year that you overcome all your symptoms. Now, I'm not saying that because it sounds good. It can be done with the teachings that I'm giving on that subject alone. And one person took me up on it. I mean, I don't know how many actually took it up, but one has responded. And guess what? She's making progress. So much so that she not only comments on the YouTube channel, she comments on email, sent me a card I just got the other day, gave me updates. She says, I'm finally conquering my symptoms. That's what we want. We don't want this amorphous, oh, God help us. And by the way, curious as human nature is, you can join a denomination I did. And that was kind of the way prayer went. It was a staccato. I don't know who started it, but it spread through the whole couple million people. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Now, if you normally speak like that, that's fine. Another group of people, a guy wanted to show how Jesus was just a, not just a man, but he was a man and did service, wore farmer jeans. We used to call them farmer jeans. Now, everybody that joined this group or listed them, all wear farmer jeans. So somebody was bragging about the guy. The book was actually a pretty good book. They all wear farmer jeans. That's a uniform. That's called a uniform. You don't need farmer jeans to prove that you got the gift of helps. You don't have to say, oh, Lord. If that's not how you speak ordinarily. I'm not trying to sound like Billy Graham or to sound like somebody else. It's just me. And this is how I speak. Prayer without faith is a zero. It's nothing. Nothing's going to happen. Well, maybe not nothing. Things that you don't want to happen are going to happen. Boy, if there was ever a time that we needed prayer and confidence, it's now. You can't go to church without a guarantee. We can't go anywhere. We can't even go shopping. But church, which you think would be the very last place that we would see these things and we're seeing it on a more regular basis. And so we need God. We need people who are not just going to pray and say words. We need people who are going to put these verses to mind and say, I refuse to stagger. I will be more like Abraham. I will not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but I will remain strong in faith, giving glory to God that he's going to come through because God cannot lie. Does he make you wait? Yes, he's not always on time for dinner, but he will be there. He will show up. Your cooking is not in vain. Your setting of the table is not in vain. God's going to show up. God's going to show up. How, how do I know that? Two ways. The book says so in personal experience. Has he made me wait? Plenty of times. Does he test me? A lot. But I refuse because I know the principles. Once I start to waver, God says, deal's off. Deal is off. Listen, church, you really need to understand this. The deal is off. The prayer meeting, I don't care if we have it here before the service, which we do, Friday nights, which we do. It don't matter. The deal is off. They're just words. It's just carbon dioxide filling up the atmosphere. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. That happens to be in the same book here in James. The prayer of faith, same principle that we're expecting. When I pray for myself, and I know some of you who pray for me, I expect God to hear your prayers. I really do. I expect God to hear my prayers. Do I struggle? Yep. Sometimes symptoms remain. Yep. But I won't give in to them. Won't give in to them. So I can make you feel sorry for me. After all, I am the pastor, and then you can make me feel sorry for you. As people try to do that to me too. Oh, you don't know. And I told this just last night. I was actually meditating on this message when somebody came to me and they you know, wanted to talk to me about some very bad event that just happened. And he's the one that told me, you know, it's not a Christian man. You know, I just don't like all this self-pity stuff and pity things. I said, well, you know what? I'm with you. I don't even know him that well. Just stopped by because he needed my help. I said, no, I don't either. 
You keep this in mind, whatever your problem has been, whatever it is, don't you go on the social media and say, unless you've been in my shoes, I don't have to be, I don't have to be in your shoes. First of all, I've dealt with enough people for 45 years to get the picture of the things I haven't experienced. The things I have experienced, I've experienced. But what you want to experience is the faithfulness of God that it comes through if you will not waver. And the temptation, once again, will be there. Ideas will come in, you push them out. You push them out. And you don't think about what everybody else is doing, you just concern yourself with what you're doing. What are you doing? Because prayer without faith is nothing. It's a zero. Look at, let me say it to you this way. For those of you who remember the rote prayers that some of us were taught, and we just said the same thing over and over again, over and over and over again. Now we come, we got born again, and instead of rote prayers, we use Bible verses in the place. And that's all it is. We just Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. That still does not mean you actually believe what God has said. If God said he'll keep you strong, he'll keep you strong. If God said he'll never leave you, it means he'll never leave you, unless you walk away. Now the old expression, if you feel yourself apart from God, who moved? It wasn't God. Let me give you a couple more things before we finish, but I want to just hammer this point home. If you invite God to dinner in prayer, he will be there. And let me say something else, and this is prophetic, but like anybody could figure this out, so it's not like I had a dream, nobody knows this. The world we live in right now, it's going to get worse. For people who are skipping out on church, on meetings, on the word of God, and things they should be doing now, they will not be prepared for what's coming. Then they're going to pound on the doors. They're going to pound on the doors. They're going to be looking for me and people like me in my office. Can I meet with you? And the answer is going to be, I don't have the time. I'm sorry. My life right now is getting to the point where I could just barely handle what I have. When they start pounding on doors, because like I read somewhere, everybody laughs at, like let's say Noah, everybody laughs at a man of faith until it starts to rain. The raindrops are already falling. It's going to get worse. And then people all of a sudden, they're just going to want instant faith, the way they want instant coffee, and it will not work that way. Now is the time to practice. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get going. Now is the time. I had a guy write to me from the radio. He started off pretty good. You know, this to you, really enjoy your sermons. But then a long line about some comments he's heard me say about politicians. What about this? What about that? Well, I don't have time to answer all these questions. I don't know who you are. I do answer people who write, but the tone, it was the tone. And what I was trying to say, in case I'm not clear, I trust Christ for deliverance. I vote my conscience, who I think is the best candidate, which you remember, in a presidential election, this is not Howard Johnson's. You have two choices. You have vanilla and you have chocolate. That's it. That's all I was saying. So he's got this long thing. I don't have time for that. I don't like the tone of it. I don't have the patience for it. Because my eyes are locked on God. What God has said for me, and it's only speaking for me, deliverance comes from the Lord. Some men trust in chariots, some in horses, but we, I, will remember the name of the Lord my God. So his question went unanswered. It's going to go, questions went unanswered. And he may have just been sincere about it. I don't have time for that. My schedule's loaded out right now, right to the max. It's almost at the point where the demand is more than the supply. There's coming a time. Well, the scriptures say so. Jesus said so. They'll be knocking on the doors. They'll be calling the house. They'll be stopping by your house. I'm having that happen, by the way, more frequently. Not from you people. Other people. They're scared. One woman told me, show me the way. I said, you've been shown the way a hundred times. When will you do it? That question went unanswered. 
It's coming to the point in time, we looked at it in Noah's day, they made fun of him for a hundred years until it started to rain. And that's what's going to happen in this generation. They'll make fun of the preaching of the word of God or of the word of God itself and all these things until it starts to rain. Then it's too late. And we see that in Jesus' parables, plural. Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Notice the adjective of unbelief in departing from the living God. Romans 3.3, now it says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Well, the answer is no. God is God. He hasn't changed. Ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Don't compliment yourself. That's one extreme. And don't go on the other side of it and just always beating yourself up. That's not God either. Just be balanced about it. The idea is to just kind of measure up to see if the fruit of the Spirit is there. We talked last week about godly sorrow. During those seasons, you're being pruned back. Not a lot of joy, not a lot of peace, but it's a pruning season. The season will come to an end, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got more joy and love and peace and so forth than I've ever had before. That being said, God who hasn't changed, it says here in Hebrews 4.11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Twelve go out to spy out the land. Promise made generations before them. And like Israel, God does not tell us everything. He did tell us it's going to be rough, but he didn't give all the details. You're living out the details of your own life. I'm living out the details of my own life. And when I don't like things going a certain way, I have to remind myself, I signed on for this. Like it or not, I signed on for this. It's really, you know, time to be truthful with ourselves to the point or to the end now. Ask yourself. You judge yourself. I'm not going to judge you. Just judge yourself. Is your prayer life really getting results? Is your prayer life really bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Are you able to say, when I go to God, I don't waver? Those thoughts come in, the temptations come in, but I don't waver. I stay on the mark. And that's just something that we need to do. We need to understand, number one, prayer without faith is a total waste of time. Doesn't matter who. It's evangelical prayer. No, it's Baptist prayer, Pentecostal prayer. No, it's empty prayer. It's going nowhere. God has said, I'm not answering. Because one day you say you're getting it, and the next day you say you're not. And the next day you say, oh, yeah, I am. Then the next day you say, oh, no, I'm not. And God says, deal's off. Now, you can continue to pray if you want, but you're not going to get much. Let's go before God today. Prayer without faith. Two promises attached to prayer. One is the prayer of faith. James 5 will save the sick. Um, You lack wisdom. You don't know what to do. So God said, I'll give it to you. But when you come to me, you don't waver back and forth, left and right, left and right. You don't waver back and forth. And then there's the other. Oh, pastor, I pray every day. Well, okay, fine. But do you believe? Well, you know, I, okay. So now here's the answer. You're not going to receive anything. So which one are you? Which one are you? If Jesus is going to come to Amsterdam, and I'm just using that as an example, like the one I did about dinner. Well, there is no fault in Jesus. He created the earth for his own glory. Jesus is going to visit us, just say, well, make a local visitation to the church. It's not on Jesus. He's willing to come, like I was willing to go to supper. It's on us. Let's go before God and just ask yourself, you know, honestly, the question. When I pray, do I really believe? So you say, oh, I'm going to pray harder. That doesn't do it. Praying harder doesn't do it. 
Because when you believe that you're going to receive something, you relax. Your prayers actually get softer, get easier. Shout if you want. God's just simply not deaf. If that's your personality, okay. I can live with it. I'm okay with it. I'm just simply saying, do you want to get God's attention? Then pray in faith. And you can whisper that prayer. And I am saying this too. You'll know you believe because you're starting to rest. You're relaxing. The peace is flowing. And you realize, I really believe God's coming. So it's good. Father, help us to know the measure of faith is the measure of how much we're reposing in you and relaxing in you. And help us to understand the truth of this verse we read today and a few others added to it. We as people invite people, flawed, failing human people to dinner and in almost every case they show up. Most cases they do. When it comes to you, we invite you to dinner to answer and give us wisdom or whatever. And we say, well, I hope he comes. No, he's going to come. I hope he comes. And you said, I'm not coming. The condition for me to come and answer your prayers is that you believe I'm going to answer your prayer. And I'll come. So, Father, we ask you today to help us to not be wavering, staggering, and unbelief. Mr. Facing both ways. Two different words come out of our mouth. God is good. God is answering. I hope God answers. Help us to understand that we have to rise to your principles, not bring your principles, tear them apart, and make them accommodate us. Help us, God. We humble ourselves before you today, Father God, so that our prayer is not like what Jesus said not to do, repetitious and without power. Because when your disciples came to you, the apostles came to you, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They already knew how to pray. They'd been taught as kids, but they never saw the religious leaders get results like you did. So I may say boldly today, God, teach us here. Teach us to pray the way you pray. Because when you pray, you get results. We don't always get results. And now we know why. Help us, Lord God. And again, I don't know whose heart is right with you and whose heart is steadfast. And I don't know the ground where this seed is falling. I don't. But the one where the seed is falling on good ground, help that person to remain steadfast, immovable, not wavering. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And that's what you said. So we bless you and we praise you. Just help us to be what you call us, believers. And let us see results. Not just feel a religious obligation to say things that we feel we should say because everybody else is saying it. Help us today, God. We need your help. We humble our hearts before you. Yes, America does need you. America needs praying Christians who don't waver in doubt. Witnessing Christians who are unashamed of their faith. Preachers who can just let the Bible speak for itself, and so on. Grant us this, O God. Grant us this today, that we would be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. Because it's going to rain. Before you come, it's really going to rain. We need that strength now. We need to be strong now for the days to come. Help us, God, in this hour of history, to be what we ought to be. And then our joy will be full, and our strength will be there. And no weapon formed against us will prosper. And the devil's kingdom will crumble because every place where we go, the very soles of our feet will become holy ground. That's what you said. We believe that you mean it. So today, God, and throughout this week, help us to truly love you, which means to obey you, do what you say, with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all the strength, everything that we have. And then to love one another. We ask you these things today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can you say amen this morning? Amen.